Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our big island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 630 and on B93, B97 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime online at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by Parker School and by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha. Welcome to a bonus podcast of Island Conversations. We talked with Dr. Rick Bennett, who I will call Dr. Water. He knows an awful lot about it. And I recorded actually two podcasts. The one today is about bacteria in the water in the oceans off the island of Hawaii. And the next one, which I will post within about 24 hours, is all about wastewater on the Big Island. Let's get to my conversation with Dr. Rick. Aloha. This morning, we are talking with Rick Bennett, PhD. Rick Bennett, Dr. Rick, his focus is the health of our water. He's the president of Applied Life Sciences. He got his PhD in comparative pathology at the University of California, Davis. And he writes a blog that is called h2okona.org with the H2, two is a numeral, but Okona are all small letters. And this blog captures many of our island's issues with water. So good morning, aloha, Dr. Rick Bennett. Good morning, aloha to you. Thank you so much for talking. I know that your entire focus seems to be the health of our water. And I'd like to start out with, you have a new title that I, I don't know where it came from, Kona Coast Waterkeeper. What is that? Well, it indeed is a new title, and it was an honor bestowed uh, to me almost a year ago. The Waterkeeper Alliance International was started in the 1970s by Bobby Kennedy Jr. Uh, he was a New Yorker, and he was living on, you know, near the Hudson River. And one day, the Hudson River caught on fire. <laughs> I don't think that's what rivers are supposed to do, are they? Not usually. Water tends to have the opposite effect on fire. But there was so much volatile material floating on top of the water that a spark set it off. And then Bobby Kennedy, being an attorney, and he was teaching, I believe, at NYU. And he and his environmental law students decided, well, let's see if we can apply the Clean Water Act to the water pollution in the Hudson River. And, in fact, they did. All the point sources that were big pipelines, literally pouring thousands of gallons of nasty, nasty upon nasty upon nasty into the Hudson River. Simultaneously, I'm on the other side of the country, up in the North Bay and the San Francisco area, chemical factories, leather tanning operations were dumping their wastewater in a big pipe directly into the bay. And the people were wondering why the fish weren't around anymore. <laughs> and so waterkeepers grew, and uh, various waterkeepers sprang up on the Chesapeake Bay, on the Savannah River, and they called them river keepers in some places, bay keepers and others. And Waterkeepers Alliance now is in 40 countries around the world, and each unit has a person designated as a waterkeeper. They are typically very experienced, very well trained. In some cases, they're professionals, um, environmental chemists, uh, you know, attorneys, what have you. 
and they work a nonprofit chapter, for the lack of a better term, in their geography. And, and these water keepers, by and large, are full-time paid positions. I think the founders of water keepers realize that when you take volunteers and you put them up against the corporate interests, the PR firms, the, the lawyers, and you do that with volunteers, you just are starting out on the wrong foot. And so Waterkeepers Hawaii got started in Oahu by a group of folks, uh, Dr. Wendy Wilkesey, former EPA person in uh, Honolulu, uh, Rhiannon Chandler Yao, uh, a a environmental lawyer from the Richardson School of Law at UH Manoa. And one of their first projects on Oahu was to put Hawaiian oysters into Pearl Harbor. Not so much to grow oysters for food, but to use the biology of the oyster to filter lots and lots of water every day and pull out some of the pollutants that were put into uh, Pearl Harbor as a result of decades upon decades of military operations. And that oyster project is coming along very nicely. They won't be for sale, but they they will be propagated for their filtering abilities. And then when they reach their lifespan, they will probably end up in in a landfill as opposed to being eaten. Uh, We hope to do a little oyster project in Honokahau Harbor, because our harbor has some distinct challenges that the oyster may be able to help. And so when I was asked if I would be the waterkeeper, I didn't fully appreciate what that meant. Uh, I thought, here's a chance to build a team of, of very accomplished people to take a stand and be the voice of our water. And so Waterkeeper stands for drinkable, swimmable, and fishable waters. And I add, and reusable water, because we don't have a water to waste anymore. That's true for Hawaii. It's true for most of the world. You know, I'm happy to hear you talk about the Oyster Project. I've followed the one, I have been following the one at Pearl Harbor, and what an excellent application for oysters, because I know they've done that all over the world. I know they did it in New York Harbor, and if we can do it in Honokahau Harbor and help that get back to a healthier mix, how great. So, wow, thank you so much, Dr. Bennett, for explaining that. And I really want to talk to you today about a couple of things, and I know you know about these things. First of all, we've been seeing a lot of high level of bacteria warnings issued by the State Department of Health around the state, including on our island. I look back at my emails this morning, and there's dozens in there, and they seem to be coming more frequently. And many of them say they're because of flooding, but they also say they may be because of sewage leaking, and that's what I generally have assumed. But recently, you've said those warnings may not be indicative of what is really happening. So tell us more about these high level of bacteria warnings issued by the State Department of Health. Well, I need to take you back into the 1970s. Back in the 1970s, our only tools for measuring the microbial quality of water, including drinking water, was to measure a classification. It's not even a, a, a zoological classification. It's more of a chemical classification of a group of bacteria that we call coliforms. And in that group, you can find some fecal bacteria, but it's not at all exclusive. In fact, it's so non-exclusive, its value for drinking water safety had to be tossed out. 
and they've gone now to E. coli, which is a much better indicator of fecal contamination for drinking water. But in recreational water, the E. coli didn't make any sense because this organism tends to grow in estuaries and stream sediments. When I taught microbiology many years ago, I told my students E. coli grows only in the intestine of mammals. And I said so with such righteousness, and boy, was I dead wrong. If science doesn't make you humble, nothing can. <laughs> and so the EPA scrambled to come up with another indicator, and they came up with a genus of bacteria, of which there are 30 different species. So it's a classification system. The genus is the higher grouping, and under that, there's about 30 different species in that genus. And the two that are associated with human and animal feces is Enterococcus fecalis and Enterococcus faecium. And we measure only the genus and not the species. And so when someone takes a sample of water at Kailua Bay, for example, and that someone would be an employee of the Department of Health, and they run it through their enterococci assay, they get a number of the total number of enterococci that are most likely in the water. But it's counting all of them. EPA, when it promulgates regulations, has to do a risk-benefit. And so in the Midwest, in freshwater lakes, with known cities and known wastewater discharges, they measured enterococci and did a risk study to see the prevalence of gastrointestinal disease. And what they found is as the number goes up, the probability of a gastrointestinal disease in people also goes up. But the correlation is really poor. The correlation is only 0.37. A real high correlation would be 0 0.7, 0 0.8, or a perfect correlation would be 1.0. And yet, that is the basis on which the regulation is promulgated. Now, along comes the Beaches Act in the late 1990s, if I recall correctly, which gives states money from the EPA to monitor enterococci in recreational waters. So the state of Hawaii gets almost a million dollars a year, and it pretty much funds the beach monitoring program. There's two employees on this island, and each island has one or more. And the Beaches Act requires the state to test for enterococci. If they don't do the testing and they don't do the posting, their funding is at risk. Well, so does that mean, does that mean, Dr. Rick, that all of our beaches are being tested all of the time on this island? They get tested about once a week or once every two weeks. And if they get a level that exceeds the, the threshold, they may come back and, and sample it again. At least they're supposed to. But when they get one reading, that's above the threshold at which the risk uh, is deemed too great. Now, this, again, is a, the risk was based upon freshwater lakes with known point source discharges. That same standard is being applied now to the ocean where we've got no known wastewater discharges. And we do know that a lot of our cesspools and the like leak into the groundwater. But one of the things that popped up 
serendipitously was I was watching the news one night, and they said, well, there's a beach warning at a beach down by Cocoa Head, and there's another beach near Diamond Head, and then another beach well north of Alamoana Beach Park, quite far removed from one another. And at the same time, a warning was posted at our Kahalu'u Bay. And I said to myself, what's going on? What could all these three places that are far apart from each other have in common? It can't be a sewage bill. It's probably not a storm event. And what it turned out to be was one of our king tides. The seawater intrudes well under under the land, and it goes in there and mixes things up, and then it comes raging back out at low tide, and it's coming up through the sand, up through the rock, up through the coral, and it's sweeping bacteria that live there, enterococci species, live there, and they get swept up into the water column or the, or the freestanding water above the land, and when the testers take their bucket and grab a sample and test it, they find interococci. And because if it hits the, the threshold for exceedance, then it has to be has to be noticed. And the state is doing a pretty rigorous job of letting us know when that happens because the Beaches Act requires it. And the surf rider group up in Kauai reminded the state that this was the law and they needed to follow it. And they're doing a better job of following the law. The problem is, intraococci that are elevated in our recreational waters in Hawaii and here in West Hawaii, we don't know what it means. If there's any risk, it needs to be associated with some type of human waste discharge. And it's not the bacteria in that waste discharge that cause people problems. They're viruses. And they're only there when people are sick. So you can see that this has got a lot of error in, intrinsically in the assay. And then when there is fecal bacteria present, and we can sometimes determine that by very, very high numbers of interococci, the viruses may or may not be present. So people ask me, is it safe to swim? And the answer is, we can't know. We don't know for sure. But the state is also doing something that, if you're getting their civil um, alerts every day like I am, Every time there's a stormwater event and brown water flows into the ocean, they're posting brown water advisories. Brown stormwater is almost as bad as sewer water. It's got a lot of bacteria in it that may or may not be fed to people. Probably doesn't have a lot of virus in it unless the stormwater has overflowed some storm drain, and now they've got raw sewage, because we know that our sewer lines, and especially in Honolulu, leak profusely, and if a lot of rainwater gets into the sewer system, it will overwhelm the sewer system, manhole covers will pop up, and raw sewage and stormwater will flow into the beach. 
And so we learned as surfers when I was a teenager, it was a lot of years ago, that when there was brown water, it was dangerous. And we had lots of anecdotes to know about that. Now, not all groundwater is risky. We would like to know if the brown water or the high intralococcite counts is really reflective of an infectious disease threat. And measuring very, very specific human intestinal bacteria is not easy at all. What's even harder is to look for human viruses in the ocean water. Uh, very sophisticated process. You've got to collect gallons of water and filter it. <clears throat> so it's just not feasible. So I'm a microbiologist, and I have decided that chasing bacteria is not the way to go. Why don't we start looking for something else in human wastewater that is much more stable and truly indicative of wastewater? And I think we have found it. And we've done some studies here on the island that, that, that supports my view. Uh, and that something is sucralose. Sucralose. Known, known to most people as Splenda. <laughs> <laughs> Little tiny yellow packets at the restaurant. But if you inquire, as I did recently, there's around 300 retail products in the supermarket food supply network that contain Splenda. It's 500 times more sweet than table sugar, so a little goes a long, long way. It has no calories. It is completely non-digestible, and it's not absorbed into the blood, and it's all excreted with the feces in about 24 to 30 hours after you consume it. And to make it even better, it's incredibly stable in the environment. We measured wastewater in the last treatment pond at Kalakehe and found 43,000 nanograms. A nanogram is, is a billionth of a gram. It is a very small amount. But that is the highest value that we found. You know, the dilution of this sucralose with all the water that we're flushing is, is, is extreme. But we also found sucralose in Honokahau Harbor in statistically significant concentrations. We did not find it in Kailua Bay at that time. We did not find it in Kua Bay up north. Oddly enough, at Banyan. Ali'i Drive through that section of Ali'i Drive is Seward, and yet we found evidence of a leak at Banyans, hmm. and we found higher concentrations in Kahalu'u Bay because the sewer line terminates at Queen Kalama. So between Queen Kalama and the entrance to Kahalu'u Bay, all those homes on the Manaka side are on cesspits, and we have seen a pattern looking at sucralose, as well as laundry detergent optical brighteners. It's a very short-term indicator because they're not very stable. When you say laundry detergent optical brighteners, what does that mean? We used to put a lot of bleach in laundry detergent, and it ruined a lot of fabric. And so the chemist in the detergent industry said, we're going to put optical brighteners in there. And these are chemicals that when the sunlight hits them, they reflect back. So they're actually glowing. <laughs> wow. And if you hit these optical brighteners in a dark room with an ultraviolet black light, they do, in fact, glow. And that's how we measure them in our recreation waters, is by putting them in a spectrophotometer that energizes the water with ultraviolet light. 
and it causes a fluorescence that my machine measures quite precisely. We can measure down to five parts in a million, but they're very short-lived. They break down very quickly in the sunlight. So between these two indicators, we can show long-term chronic exposure of wastewater to the ocean, and there's a very acute or short-term relief of wastewater. We can, we can pick it up with the optical brightness. A brief interruption before we continue our conversation with Dr. Rick Bennett. This is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. This is a bonus podcast, not available on the radio on the Big Island of Hawaii, but only as a podcast. Let's hear from our sponsors before we return to the conversation. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. I love my school. My school feels like family. At Parker School, we are one ohana. At Parker School, your child is known, valued, and nurtured in a safe and diverse community. We invite you on a Valina visit, a virtual campus tour to meet our school community and discover our historic campus in the heart of Waimea. Join our ohana, where students feel safe to explore, evolve, and excel as compassionate learners engaging enthusiastically in life. Call 885-7933 or visit parkerschoolhawaii.org to register, learn about financial aid opportunities, or about Parker School. Before we return to Dr. Rick Bennett, note that there is a second podcast that will be available with Dr. Rick all about wastewater on the Big Island of Hawaii and how we deal with it. When we return to our conversation with Dr. Rick, I was asking him to help us understand, now that we understand that there are some serious issues about the water quality in the ocean as a result of bacteria and runoff, what do we do next to help solve the problem? There's just not enough of me and enough time to do all the sampling that we want to do to be able to provide alert to people. That that just probably never happened. But I think the notion of rain events causing a runoff should cause people to be cautious. The risk will go up. How much, I don't know. Now, the saving grace in Hawaii is our sun. Two days of full sunlight on the ocean will kill most microbes that have been introduced by a sewer break or a groundwater storm event. Two days of full sun, all it takes. So you're not saying we have to stop swimming at some of these bays where you have found that there are issues or that the State Department of Health calls out in their alerts? You know, people who have got particular susceptibility to infections might want to take a couple-day vacation. But there is no need, in my opinion, to say I'm never going to swim there again because of the, the, the very powerful sanitizing effect of solar ultraviolet light. That's really good to know. I mean, seriously good to know, because as you know, we have had some actual known sewage spills here. For example, there was one in Kailua Bay several months ago that, gosh, I can't even remember if it was pre-COVID or post-COVID. And you and I talked about it at the time, about how long it would take for the situation to resolve. Does the ocean water, just because of the wave action, does that wash things away? Well, clearly, wave action will cause some dilution. However, groundwater is brackish, and so it's less salty than seawater. So it'll tend to 
direction and wind action will take it. So depending upon the current and the wind, that wastewater discharge could actually be get concentrated up along the shore as opposed to being swept rapidly out to sea. If you think about the breeze here in Kona, it's usually out of the northwest, which is an onshore breeze. And so anything floating on the sea, including this brackish water that may have enteric viruses in it, uh, is going to get blown back to the sea. But on the surface of the water, <clears throat> and down to two feet, the sunlight is very, very effective. We hope to install some weather instruments uh, at various beaches along Ali'i Drive where we can actually measure both storm events and solar duration. And this system has been developed um, in concert with government funding for NASA and the military and many other applications, and these things are all connected to the Internet. And so with a network of these sensors, we could have a web page that will tell you if it's rained at your beach recently, and it can tell you how much solar energy has hit your beach recently. And we're, we're looking for volunteers who can put these at private places along the beachfront there and kind of steward the instrument. And all it needs is an Internet connection, and the rest will do. I think that's going to be our best real-time advice. It tells you when periods of risk may be a little higher, it will tell you at times when the risk will be lower. I don't think we'll ever have a measurement that'll say, okay, today is risk-free, or there's a rainy event, now the risk is 50-50 if you go in the water. I just don't think we'll have that, because the equation of infection is the attributes of the infectious disease agent, the bacteria, the virus, and then the attributes of the host and host resistance. So you could have some very, very hot, we call virulent microbes, but the person who's in the water is very, very robust and healthy, and so even in the presence of pathogens, they're not going to get an infection. Now, somebody like me, who's 72 years of age, and I've got chronic upper respiratory conditions, and I get in the ocean and inhale some of that water, I could be at risk where somebody who's a 25-year-old surfer is not. So, so it's a complicated equation, risk and risk and disease. So I think the best we can do is associate certain events like brown water as a higher risk time. And if you're concerned about your risk, it's probably best to wait until the sun's done its job, and then it will be a much lower risk to get back in the water. Notice I've not used the term safe or not safe because it is not an either-or situation. Well, there's a lot of risky things about going in the water that we need to pay attention to, so it sounds like this is definitely one of them. Now, Dr. Rick Bennett, you mentioned you would like to have volunteers. If people would like to volunteer, how would they contact you or let you know this? Um, the best way to contact me if you would like to get involved in this stormwater event and solar monitoring is to give me a, an email shout at 808RHB, Richard Harris Bennett, at gmail.com. 808RHB at gmail.com. And so if you've got a property right along the Lee Drive where you can plug one of these units in and there's an internet connection, uh, not only will you get a state 
state-of-the-art weather station for your location that you can and you can read all that weather data in real time on your smartphone. But at the same time, these units are sending data back to the mainframe computer in Santa Cruz, California, and then we can interrogate that database and say, okay, have we had enough sunshine at Kua Bay today to bring it down to the lowest risk? And we will be able to do that. Give us that email address again, please. 808, our area code, RHB, Richard Harris Bennett, my initials, at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Dr. Rick Bennett. This is very informative. I'll leave it with Waterkeeper's motto. Water's got to be drinkable, it's got to be swimmable, it's got to be fishable, and it's got to be reusable. And if we treat the water with that kind of respect, we'll be fine. And if people want to follow you on your blog, what is that address? It's h2o.org. Thank you so much, Dr. Rick Bennett. Aloha. Aloha. And to the listeners of this podcast with Dr. Rick Bennett, all about bacteria and the water, stuff like that. Thank you so much for being with us. There is one more podcast that I'll be posting with Dr. Rick Bennett, all about wastewater on the big island of Hawaii. Look for that one December 31st or later. This is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. Till next time, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahui ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Brought to you by Parker School and by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. And by New West Broadcasting.